And uh, if you weren't here this morning, that's in the Old Testament. Go to the end of the Old Testament and uh, put yourself in reverse and come back five books and you'll find the book of uh, Habakkuk. Uh, we're going to continue tonight uh, in the second of our four-part series that we began this morning under the, the general title, if you like, uh, Trusting God When It Doesn't Make Sense. And we'll have the other two parts of the uh, series the week after next, uh, uh, Trevor Gillanders is here next Sunday, but then the Sunday after that we'll pick up again and finish the series in the uh, 11 o'clock and 7 o'clock services. One of the great truths of, of Christianity uh, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, uh, which says simply that as God's people were called to, to live or, or to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, but you and I both know that uh, uh, that's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. It sounds easy, but it's not so easy in the, in the realities of life. One of the, the myths of Christianity is, is that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, uh, we get rid of all of our problems and uh, life becomes a bed of roses. Uh, you've heard that said, maybe. That that's what happens. And while it's true that when we come to Christ, our basic problem, spiritual problem, our sinful state, uh, if you like, has been, has been dealt with, has been resolved, and we've been reconciled to God by accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross, uh, his death and resurrection, uh, we, we often come face to face with a whole new set of issues as Christians that we didn't have to deal with before we became a Christian. Like, why isn't God answering my prayer? Uh, when I'm doing my best for the Lord, why do I experience the, uh, the worst of others or hardships? Why do good people suffer and the ungodly people seem to prosper? There's all sorts of, of questions that we come up against. Because the Christian life, and, and, and uh, Julie alluded to it as uh, she introduced that last song, the Christian life is never a bed of roses. Uh, and even though we live, uh, we live the life of faith, even though our faith is put very personally in the person of Jesus Christ, and even though Christ is all and all and, and sufficient for every need, the life of faith is never constantly comfortable. Problems that we can't understand come our way, uh, like everybody else. Sorrows come, and we struggle to cope with that. Temptations of every kind can cause us to wonder if the faith that we hold on to so strongly could have really have a weak link in it. And all throughout history, uh, Satan has tempted God's people uh, to doubt God and to doubt the goodness of God uh, and to undermine our faith. And it's an old, old tactic of Satan to present a, a ridiculous picture of Christianity to the unsaved world, to try and make Christianity look, and Christians look stupid by posing questions like, how how can a God like the one that you claim to, 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 to believe in in the Bible let the world get into a mess? We talked a bit about that this morning. Or worse still, how can the God that you claim is in the, in the Bible and that you worship let his church get into a mess? We talked about that as well. But of course, these things are not new because as we began this morning, uh, two, two and a half or 2,600 years ago, there were problems in the life of the Israelites and questions about God in the mind of Habakkuk, one of his prophets, as he wrote this prophecy, this short prophecy of three chapters, 56 verses. And, and, and 
uh, he had his own issues with God. As he surveyed uh, the land of his day, the land of Judah, uh, and he also watched, if you like, the international scene, Habakkuk struggled with some serious questions about faith and then about God's responses to him, God's words to him. Now, in our first message this morning, we talked about the world situation in his day and how it related then and how it relates today to trusting God when, when things don't seem to make sense. And, and, and just to, to kind of recap for a moment, to catch up, in chapter 1, he begins questioning God because there was such, such evil and sin happening in the world and within his own people, the nation of Israel, in Judah. And he was crying out in prayer for God to come and to sort things out. And in some way, uh, even in revival, to bring people back to himself. But we saw that no matter how much uh, this prophet of old Habakkuk prayed it seemed that God wasn't really hearing him at least not to begin with and, and there was silence from heaven but God didn't remain silent for long and, and he eventually told Habakkuk he said I'm going to do something so marvelous and so wonderful in your day that if you saw it you wouldn't even believe it and when you remember I, I said to you that the word uh, that the name Habakkuk means what does it mean? Don't, don't be shy. Yvonne, what are you saying? Embrace. embrace. To embrace. He was an embracer. He clung to God. And uh, I'm glad you said that because at least you were listening. Thanks, for, thanks Yvonne. Um, and, and he was, you know, he embraced God and, and he was probably quite hopeful. You know, God's going to do something and he's going to do something marvelous. Maybe the Messiah will come the promised Messiah. Maybe the kingdom will be restored. Maybe we'll have this long-lasting revival. But then God says something, as you heard this morning, completely unexpected. Instead of bringing revival, God brings the Babylonians. Instead of bringing the Messiah, God brings Nebuchadnezzar. And God brings a very clear, makes it very clear that he's the one bringing this judgment upon the nation. And he doesn't soften the blow and he uses Words deliberately like fierce, impetuous, dreaded, feared, a law unto themselves, they swoop down to devour, uh, uh, to describe the Babylonians. So Habakkuk really is the story of one man who, who embraced, but really who wrestled with God about how to have strong faith in confusing times. And folks, I, I don't need to tell you, we live in confusing times. And, and as Christians, and as the church, we're confronted with a lot of issues uh, and, and, and there's confusion about a lot of things and, and what is God's word about some things that we should really hold on to dearly and some people are, are caving in and some people are, are giving up and so this evening we're going to, to really move into a deeper level than we did this morning in this, this conversation, this dialogue that Habakkuk has with God and so I'd like you to uh, just to follow with me if you brought your Bible, and if you're, you, you love the Word, and you should, if you're a Christian, it's your textbook. Uh, I mean, when you were young, and even the young people here tonight, you know, if you go to school and you don't have your reading book with you, teachers say, where's your reading book? Oh, I left it behind. Well, you've got to bring it to school. Well, you've got to bring your Bible to church with you. And I don't care if it's electronic or, or, or otherwise, uh, although I heard... Uh, John was it uh, John Andrews uh, at, at, at Wondrous doing the morning Bible studies, and he said he loves to hear. 
loves to hear the pages of the Bible opened when you come to Bible study. So anyway, let, let's read on from where we finished this morning, chapter 1 and verse 12, and we'll read into a little bit of chapter 2. So uh, here's Habakkuk's second complaint. His first complaint was, Lord, what, why can't you do something? Look what's going on. The world's going crazy, and you're allowing it to happen. Won't you do something? And then God, you know, his answer was, well, yeah, I'm going to send judgment. You won't like it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But then here's, here's Habakkuk's second complaint, it says. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, he will not die. we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying the nations without mercy? I will stand my watch, says uh, Habakkuk. I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to, to give to this complaint. And then the Lord, the Lord's answer. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end or the end and will not prove false. And though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. And we'll just end the reading there at, at, verse, at verse 4. As you can imagine, uh, God's mysterious ways create this second question from Habakkuk. He, he, he says, Lord, you, you haven't answered me for, for a long time, and, and now when you do answer me, how am I meant to understand and accept that you, a holy God, are going to use an instrument to discipline your people that's more sinful than we are ourselves? And so here's, a, here's this conversation between a frustrated a man of faith and a God whose ways are sometimes way beyond any of his or our understanding. And we saw that Habakkuk couldn't make head nor tail of it. And what we learned was the truth that when we experience what seems to be unfair or unjust, unjust even in what sometimes happens to us personally, uh, we can sit around and offer all the commentary that we want, but at some point we've got to deal with God in it all. Because anything that occurs in history, as I said this morning, has a place in his divine plan. It's all purposeful, according to God. And that being said, you know, devastating world or, or personal problems can be difficult to reconcile to, to a loving, caring, kind God as he's presented to us in Scripture. So, so let me begin by, by asking you this. What, what do you do when you've prayed to God and he's given you an answer... But you don't like the answer that you've been given. You don't like the answer you've received. You know, you've, you've interviewed for a job that you'd prayed for and prayed for, but they offered it to somebody else who in your eyes was less qualified and you're still unemployed. How do you reconcile that? 
You prayed to God for healing for yourself or maybe for someone else. But the doctor says that, you know, the medication and the treatment isn't going to work. And they're not going to get any better. Uh, you've prayed, maybe prayed to find a, a husband or a wife. And the years have gone and he or she hasn't, uh, hasn't turned up. What do you do? You've sunk your life savings, maybe, into a new business venture. Only to see it fail. Despite your every effort and hard work to, to make it work. Or you've prayed that your, your spouse would never leave you, but here you are, separated or divorced. You've prayed to have a child or to have more children, but as time goes on, it isn't happening for you. What, what do you do when you, when you make those prayers and, and more besides, and, and you don't seem to get an answer or you're getting answers that you don't want to accept? Well, we've all been there. Some of us have been there many times because that's the way life is. We have our dreams, um, and there's a conference coming up for ladies about dreams. Um, so uh, take note of that. You find the details in the, in the bulletin. Um, but we have our dreams. We make our plans. We pray. We sincerely ask to do God's will. Uh, and then when the answer comes, it's not what we wanted. It's not what we expected. What do you do then? I've been a Christian 48 years. Uh, long enough to discover that God's plan... And my plans sometimes aren't either the same or they're not in sync with his timing. There was a time when I was not even realizing that I was running away from God. I was doing Christian things. I was still involved in a form of ministry, but it wasn't what God had really called me to until a certain circumstance happened. And as I've told you before, he kind of pulled me through the hedge to get me back on the road. And it wasn't pleasant. We all know that we should pray your will be done. And most of us probably do. But it still disturbs us and still unsettles our spirit, doesn't it? When we discover that God has a completely different plan in mind, you know? And uh, Habakkuk's first question was, God, why won't you answer me? And then when God did answer, his second question was, Lord, this can't be right. This can't be right. Now, notice how Habakkuk doesn't treat God's mysterious ways from a kind of an academic or theoretical standpoint. He doesn't treat it in a, in a kind of a form of a, uh, a psychological, philosophical, emotional standpoint. He treats this from a position of personal, spiritual confusion. Because the truth is that the issue is not Judah and her sinning ways. The issue isn't Babylon and their treacherous, evil ways. The issue is not Habakkuk's doubts even. Listen, the issue is about who he believes his God to be. Who does he believe God is? That's what the issue is. And all our questions about life and, and the circumstances of our lives eventually will lead us back to that question and to God because he's the one with whom we have to deal. Habakkuk went from questioning whether he had misunderstood what God had said to asking himself whether he really had misunderstood who God was. wonder have you ever done that? Have you ever questioned or doubted God and his ways in your life? So, so you've, you've wondered, do I really know who God is and, and who he's like and what he's like? Do I really believe he loves me? And, and, and uh, do I know how much he really cares about my life? And do I believe he's actually directing my every, my every step? Well, 
Habakkuk is completely confused with God's initial answer to him about doing something. He hasn't got any solid footing to stand on. He's on very thin ice in trying to understand that. He's in the midst of of what some people would call the paralysis of analysis. Have you ever been there? You've been in a situation or something has come into your life uh, and you've tried to work it out. And the more you think about it, the more you try to work it out, you can't. And you get all confused all the more. Uh, uh, Paralysis of analysis. Trying to figure out, he was trying to figure out what God had said with who God is. And so he does a very smart thing. He backs away from the problem. And instead of fooling around with what he doesn't know, he backs up to what he does know. And in his mind, he's saying, maybe if I start with what I do know about God, it will help me to come to some conclusion, come to some terms with, with uh, what I don't know and I don't understand. You see, he's had enough of standing on thin ice, so he backs up to where he knows he's going to be on solid ground, so to speak. And he starts establishing something that he does know. You see, when, when God makes no sense... We'll either walk away from our faith, and lots of people have done that. Or we'll be caused to remind ourselves again of who God really is. Who we know him to be. And so when he's faced with the news that the the, the hated Babylonians uh, would soon invade Judah, take people off to captivity, and nothing was going to stop them, God was going to allow it to happen, Habakkuk goes back really to what the theologians call the first principles. He goes back to what he knows to be true about God and then he starts to encourage himself in the Lord. And first of all, he reminds himself that he knows that God exists eternally. Verse 12, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? God exists eternally. Back in verse 11, Habakkuk has been thinking about the Babylonians' God because God had told him that after the Babylonians had come down and wiped out Israel they would think that it was their own God who had enabled them to do it and they'd start praising their own God so in verse 12 he says now wait a minute wait a minute their God who or what is their God my God is eternal my God is from everlasting he's not the God of any man or of any nation he's God from eternity to eternity that much I know And you can feel the ground getting more solid under uh, this prophet's feet as he says, folks, uh, you know, there's nothing more reassuring. There's nothing more consoling. There's nothing more helpful than being in the midst of a time of confusion and then to stand back on the solid ground of what you know. I may not understand everything, but this one thing I know. My God is eternal. My God was around before history started and my God will be around after it's gone. He's the eternal one and his throne and his rule is outside of time altogether. He reigns from eternity to eternity. He's creative and his permissive will has allowed this. So God was there before this thing, whatever it is, started and he'll be there when it's over. And when he stands on that sort of solid ground, knowing that God is eternal, he starts, I think, to feel a little better about things. But he's not done. Because the next words from his mouth are, my God, not only is God eternal, but God is self-existent. The exact word he used for God is the word Yahweh, which is transliterated Jehovah. 
and Jehovah was the name of God that means the I am the eternally existing one nobody made him nobody created him he always was and he always will be and he isn't in any sense dependent on what happens or what doesn't happen in the world and it's almost as if uh, Habakkuk has, uh, has come to a, a solid ground and he's now on a roll because he knows something else about God he says oh Lord are you not from everlasting to everlasting my God my holy one he's sure not only of God's eternal existence but he's, and he's sure not only of his self-existence, but he's sure that God is absolutely, perfectly righteous and holy. And he's beginning now to realize that despite what he doesn't know or understand about God and his ways, God can never do anything wrong or make a mistake. And he's not done yet. He now reminds himself of a truth about God with great confidence and courage. And he says, we shall not die. We shall not die. He remembers that God, his God, is a God of promise. God made a promise with the backup's people that he would never destroy them, but that he would make them into a great nation and that they would number the sands of the sea. God had promised an unconditional covenant with Israel. And so he remembers, hang on a minute now, wait a minute. We're not going to die. My God is a faithful God. He's not about to let the Babylonians wipe us off the face of the earth. He's got a promise to keep with us. He's remembering uh, the promise, the covenant that was made with Abraham. It was confirmed with Isaac. It was confirmed with Jacob. It was confirmed with David. God's covenant with them and through them to us, to you here tonight and to me tonight. That's the constant link that binds the hearts of God's people to God. And since God would never break his word... Habakkuk reminds himself that although God is sending this judgment through the Babylonians, he's not about to wipe out Israel because God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. Oh, what a truth to dwell on in the midst of all of our confusion sometimes. In the center of verse 12, Habakkuk finally comes to this realization concerning God and his mysterious ways when he confesses, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish he knows that his God is almighty he's the rock God is sovereignly in, 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 sovereignly moving in all of these ways God is the personification of power uh, itself because nothing happens in the world nothing happens in our own lives outside of the sovereign will of God as we, as we established this morning the theological term or one of them is omnipotence El Shaddai the God who created the world out of nothing. The God who stood one day and said, let there be light, and there was. That God, says Habakkuk, is in complete control. He's sovereign. And there's not one thing that could happen that he couldn't stop. And nothing can happen that he didn't allow to start. And so he's gaining, he's encouraging himself in his faith. And he's gaining confidence as he understands what, who God is. And so for you tonight here and for me, dealing with whatever it is that we sometimes have to wrestle with God with, the question is not, do I believe God? But rather, listen, here's the question. Think about it for yourself. What sort of God do I believe in? That's the key question that we all have to answer for ourselves. Uh, as I've said, if I've learned anything in my, my 48 years as a Christian, 
As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer in the sovereign God, I've learned that faith is a choice that we have to make for ourselves. Sometimes we choose to believe because of what we see, but often we'll be called to believe in spite of what we see. That's not easy, I know, but we're called to that. And as I look around the world, many things remain mysterious and unanswerable. But if I believe there's no God, or if I believe there is a God, but he's not all powerful or good or faithful, nothing will make sense. But I've chosen to believe because I must believe, and I, I truly have no other choice. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, we sang. Um, and if I sound confident about that, it's because I've learned through my own circumstances and difficulties, and even through tears at times, that my only confidence is in God and in God alone. Time and time again, when faced with, with situations that we can't understand or explain, we need to go back to the first principles of what we know are true about God that we profess to believe in. God is good, God is holy, God is just, God knows all things, God makes no mistakes, the Bible is true, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for our sins, he ascended into heaven, someday he's going to come back, the Holy Spirit is a real person, God is always with me, all things work together for my good, for God's glory, God will complete his work in me. You see, as Christians... We're not called to live in the realm of our feelings and our emotions. Because you know, regardless of, of anything else, feelings and emotions are up and down and up and down and up and down. It's like trying to live on a roller coaster if you're trying to live by your feelings. We're called to live in God's reality, which is called faith. And faith is like daring the soul to go beyond what our eyes can see. We often, you know... Uh, use that well-known confession of faith between pastor and congregation and I've used it here God is good all the time and all the time yeah you remember it uh, and I read recently that, that that expression actually started in churches in Nigeria did you know that but they added something that has somehow been lost in our use of that little phrase and that truth after we've said God is good all the time and all the time God is good, everyone apparently in Nigerian churches then say in unison, and I am a witness. You like that? I am a witness, meaning that this is not just a, a cute Christian thing to say. It means that I live out this truth and I will testify to it. Come what may. If life's good, I'll say it. If life's not good, I'll still say it. So maybe we could take a moment right now and, and say those words out loud. Out loud. God is good. And all the time. And I am a witness. I am God's witness. That adds a little bit of, a, of, of, of something personal to it, doesn't it? It's easy to say God is good all the time and so on. But then to stand up and say, you know, that's true. Why is it true? Because I'm his witness. I'm his witness. I'm his witness. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing in verse 12. Despite his confusion, he's giving testimony to his own faith in God. And he reached his answer 
for the moment by stepping away from the problem and thinking about who he really knew God to be and, and, and what he really knew was true about God. And having established that, he could move then to accept that which he didn't know in the light of what he did know. You see, there's only one way to tackle things you don't understand about God's ways. You have to step back from the, the problem or the circumstance and think about, about uh, what you do know about God and say, now, wait a minute, this is a, this is a confusing situation here that I'm in. This is a terrible situation that I'm in. But hang, wait a minute, God's eternal. He was here before this problem came up. He'll still be there when it's over. He's self-existent. There's no problem too big for him. Not only is he almighty, nothing happens but what he allows to happen. And not only that, but he's absolutely holy. He, he'll never ever do or allow anything that's wrong concerning me. And finally, he's always faithful. So there must be purpose in all of this. And you know, you know what? You, you may get so blessed by what you know about God when you begin to meditate upon it that you might even forget that you had a problem in the first place. But that being said, then in verse 13, we come to the heart of Habakkuk's problem with God. We, we, understand that, we understand that life's not fair. It's commonly said that into each life some rain must fall, but while some people get a sprinkle, other, others live with a torrential downpour uh, of trouble. So how do we explain that? Well, his problem stemmed from what seemed to him was a contradiction in God. If God's good all the time and can't tolerate wrongdoing, how then could he use these wicked people, the Babylonians, whose sins were far greater than the sins of Judah, to judge Judah? Is that not a contradiction? The answer is no, because there's no contradictions in God. But it's true that he does things sometimes that seem to us to be inconsistent. And that's the operative phrase, isn't it? That seem to us to be inconsistent. God's ways will not always make sense to us. Because as I said this morning, he's God and we're not. Even when they're viewed with the eyes of faith. We, we simply don't always know why things happen. We don't always know. Sometimes we find out later. But sometimes we'll not know until we get to heaven. I remember the testimony of, of a nurse in the Congo. I'm trying to remember her name. She was from Northern, Northern Ireland. She lives in England now. And this is many years ago. A little nursing station somewhere in the Congo during the, the civil conflict there. And soldiers came in one day and they shot some people. They took her and she was badly beaten and she was raped. Now she survived it. And she was asked in an interview uh, not long after that how she felt about that and about her attackers and what happened to her. And there she, here she was, a missionary nurse, serving God, doing God's will. And this terrible thing came upon her. And she says, you know, all I can tell you is I don't know why it happened. I don't know why that happened. She said, when I, when I was thinking about it, she said, I was praying about it, trying to get some understanding, and I, it was as if I heard the voice of God saying, will, will you trust me? Will you still trust me, even if you never know? If I never reveal it to you? And, and you know, we sometimes have to live with the unknowingness of God's ways in our lives. You know, when my wife died very, very suddenly in a short space of time, after we'd come home, nine months after we came home from uh, 
living in Canada, took a virus, and uh, very quickly it, it, it just overtook her whole system and was attacking all of her organs, and before we knew it, she was gone. And we had come home, having served in the church uh, for, for so many years, and really for all of our lives serving God. And we'd come home, you know, hoping to see grandchildren grow up, and all of that sort of stuff. And then this happens, and it causes you to question God and his ways. Why God? Why, why would this happen, you know? And I remember during the wake, a pastor friend of mine, Philip Emerson from Emmanuel Church in Lurgan, came to see me. And I, I didn't know him too well, but I knew him a little bit. And uh, he came to see me and he said, listen, Gordon, I want to tell you something. This same experience happened to me about 15 years ago. I was in bed with my wife. We were just starting Emmanuel Church. Things were going well. She was very much involved. And right there in the bed, she died. We were talking. She was reading the book. I turned around to talk to her, and she was gone. And he said, I, I questioned God. I cried to God. I said, God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? When we were doing your work, building a church that you had called us to, she was very much part of it, and now my wife's gone. Why? Why? And he said, I want to tell you something, Gordon. Don't do what I did. Don't keep questioning God and asking why. He said, because what happened to me was, as I did that for months, I went in a downward spiral of depression and despair. It almost took my faith out because I couldn't understand it until a friend came to me one time. And I'm going to tell you what he told me. And he said, he said to me, Phil, don't keep asking God why. Because here's the truth. If God was to tell you why that happened to your wife, the very next question that you would have would be, why? You would just keep on asking why. You would never accept it. You'd never be prepared to understand it because there's no understanding of it. It's God's ways and his ways are higher than our ways. And you know, that was a great help to me. That was a great help to me. And so in, 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 our, own, in our own confusion, we have to be very careful uh, about trying to understand things that sometimes there's no understanding of. Absolutely no understanding of. Didn't intend to say that, but I've said it and I've lost my place. But anyway, um, in the face of the onset, onset of this contradiction, uh, Habakkuk wonders when it will all end. And, and he, he touches the deepest question that sometimes we have to face when life crumbles in around us. How long will this last? How long is this going to go on for, Lord? Most people can stand up under trouble if they know it will eventually come to an end. But sometimes it seems like it's just one thing after another after another. And we wonder how we're going to survive as a Christian. And how our faith is going to survive. So as we sum up Habakkuk's conversation with God in this second message. We have his three questions really. He said, who are you Lord? To which he supplies his own answer. He, he gets to understand in his own spirit who God is. His second question was, how can a holy God allow this to happen? To which no answer is given. And how long will it last? Again, no answer is given. These are all honest questions. The kind that we all ask in times of trouble and confusion with life. And, and Habakkuk is, a, is an honest man. And, and, and when he has doubts, he doesn't hesitate to tell God about them. He doesn't cover up his doubts. With, with pious thoughts. And nor does he rush to, to find a glib answer. He answers the only question he can answer. And he waits for God to answer the other two. 
He's a believing man with serious questions that he can't answer. And so in chapter 2 and verse 1, he tells us what he decided to do. He said, I'll stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. Some translations use the phrase watchtower or guard post and refers to some sort of wooden tower that a prophet would build in order to be alone and, 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 and where he would watch and wait for God's answer to his prayers. Habakkuk didn't know how God would answer or how long he would have to wait. He just knew that having said all that was on his heart, now it's time to, to wait patiently on God. <coughs> you know, at some point, at some point we have to stop talking about our problems. Most of us don't want to do that. We want to talk. We have a need to talk. And, and okay, talking is often beneficial because we all need friends who will listen to us in times of suffering or, 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 or difficulty and, and so on. But you know, I have to tell you something in love this evening. I'm convinced that some Christian situations can't get better simply because they won't stop talking about them. And in today's social media age, if no friend is actually listening to them in person, they'll splash it all over their friends, so-called, on Facebook. Pastor Sidlow Baxter says, People say that God doesn't speak to men as he did long ago, but the truer statement, he says, is that men don't listen to God today as they did long ago. I love the way the prophet doesn't run to some other prophet and ask for his advice and his counsel. He didn't ask for an appointment with the pastor of the local church. He took his complaints first to God. And as the poet laureate of Queen Victoria, Alfred Lord Tennyson, has written, Speak to him then, for he hears, and spirit with spirit can meet. Closer is he than breathing, and nearer than hands or feet. And so Habakkuk brought it to God, and then he left it there. And he waited on God. And you know, sometimes uh, we bring our things to God, but we don't leave them there. We take them back and we, we try and sort them out ourselves and it just makes it worse. We've got to sometimes leave things with God. That's all we can do. And as we come to the end of this second message, we've already reached a turning point because having laid out his complaints before God, Habakkuk now waits for an answer. And this is a great lesson to us as believers because when we're perplexed, when we're frustrated, torn apart by circumstances of mind or health or family relationships, whatever it might be, notice that Habakkuk didn't despair. He didn't panic. He wasn't impatient with God. He asked questions, but that's okay. And I believe the wonderful thing about God's silence, as Habakkuk waited for an answer in his rampart, in his tower, was this, that the stillness of God entered his own heart. And it's not what the psalmist advises us all to do. Be still and know that I am God. It's okay. It's going to be okay. It's marvelous. The evidence of, of all this, as we'll see two weeks from today, is the challenge that takes place within Habakkuk himself. 
His trust in God matures from perplexity to praise, from confusion to confidence, from burden to blessing, from fear even to faith, and from worry to worship. And that's how it should be with all of us. While he's honest about his complaints, he's also wise enough to take them to God and leave them there. What's that old song says? Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. That's good, good advice. It's not just a cute song. And that leads me to this final thought. But nonetheless, an important point. It brings us back full circle to where we began tonight. Our deepest problems with life, listen, are not psychological or sociological. They're not political. Our deepest problems are always theological. What kind of God do we believe in? Can God be trusted? Who do you know your God to be? And what Habakkuk had initially tried to do was to bring God down to his own logic. He tried to put God in a box to try and understand him, but man can never transcend his idea of who God is. Listen, if you were, if you were Islamic, you'd have a picture in your mind of a philosophical God that's cruel. Of a God that makes women dress in black with only their eyes able to show. That denies them the pleasures of marital relationships. That denies them so much, much, so much that puts restrictions and laws and petty requirements on a person. And because they have a God like that, you find that the Islamic nations are some of the most wicked and cruel in the world. You see, people become like the God that they worship. Let me say that again. People, you and I, become like the God that we worship. And as I was pondering the question of who is God to me, two things came to mind. He's not the God we sometimes think he is. In fact, he's much better than whoever we think he is. Not only is God bigger than our puny minds can conceive, he's much better than we can even imagine. And our journey through life is, is really about getting to know God better and more day by day. God's ways are better than ours. His heart is better. His thoughts are better. His plans are better than ours. All that God is and all that God does is better. And because that's true, we, should, we should, shouldn't be surprised that we continually run into the problem of not understanding him. And it shouldn't surprise us that when his answers don't always line up with our desires... It's probably because we don't fully know or understand who God is and we need to get to know him better. And what Habakkuk had initially tried to do was to bring God down, as I've said, to his logic, put him in a box to understand him. And it's interesting that, you know, as our faith gets greater as it should, mature, as we come to know God more and more in a more deep way, we'll probably end up with more questions because God is so apart from us. He is so transcendent of us that the more we know him, the truth is, the less we really will understand about him because he's beyond our understanding. But, you know, waiting is good for the soul, especially if you're waiting on God, waiting on the Lord. A.W. Tozer said this, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. And so I want to say to you tonight as we close, don't assume in the midst of anything you're going through, don't assume that God has forgotten you. You know, there was a beautiful prayer poem that was turned into a song or a hymn many years ago by a Salvation Army writer. And I just want to read the words to you tonight because I think it's maybe for someone here tonight. 
And the words are these. Don't assume that God's dismissed you from his mind. Don't assume that God's forgotten to be kind. For no matter what you do, his love still follows you. Don't think that you have left him far behind. Don't assume that God will plan for you no more. Don't assume that there's no future to explore. For your life he'll redesign and the pattern be divine. Don't think that your repentance he'll ignore. Don't assume you cannot give what he'll demand. Don't assume that God condemns you out of hand. For he gives to those who ask his grace for every task. Don't think that God will fail to understand. For his love remains the same. He knows you by your name. Don't think because you failed him, he despairs. For he gives to those who ask his grace for every task. God plans for you in love, for he still cares. Friend, tonight, you and I are on his mind right now. He sees you, he sees me in our times of confusion, in our times of fear, in our times of distress. So let me encourage you in the Lord this evening. I don't know what some of you may be going through or might have to go through. I can't enter into what's in anyone's mind, of course, whether you're doubting yourself or whether you're doubting God, but whatever you do, never lose the sense that you're you're God's child and he loves you. No one can touch you. No one can do anything to you unless God ordains it. And even if a whole army of savage barbarians is at your back door, not talking about your kids coming home from school, uh, or if you're in a fiery furnace or in a lion's den, so to speak, never lose the sense that you belong to God. And listen, God says that you and I, as his children, are the apple of his eye. What a beautiful description. Habakkuk was actually christened by the reformers as the grandfather of the Reformation because he declared in that last verse we read at the end, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith. Of course, that's a message all in itself. But for the moment, we'll leave Habakkuk here in his tower, looking, watching, waiting for the Lord to give him an answer. For so often, God leaves us in that position too, doesn't he? Waiting, not understanding him at times. But when God's confusing, we have to live by faith. We have to go back to first principles and remind ourselves of who he is. And as we wait, as you wait, don't despair. But rest your weary soul on his mighty promises. And on this promise, perhaps more than ever, or more than all in Isaiah 40, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen.